Hello everyone. I hope you are doing well. We are back with another episode of Blitz Business. I hope you will enjoy this podcast. Hi Azusa and Jeff, thank you so much for your time. It's a pleasure to have you on Blitz Business. Thanks for having us. Happy to Hi. be here. Azusa, if you can tell us a little bit about yourself and the idea behind Trust Talk. Yes, um yeah, I'm Azusa and uh, I'm a CEO of Trust Talk. And uh yeah, I'm like Trust Talk is a spin-out startup from a sharing economy company in Japan called Gaiax. Yeah. And uh, in 2016, uh, Gaiax asked me to study blockchain and create a new business supporting sharing economy companies. So when I was reviewing the uh, Gaiax solutions for monitoring comments and photos on social networking sites, I saw a problem of confirming IDs. So I came up with a business called Digital ID for digital identity verification using blockchain. So we are now doing like a, a confirming the ID verification company. How do you do uh, this particular verification? What sort of data points you capture? Yeah. So uh, in terms of data points, so um, you know we built a, a platform that has uh, APIs that connect to different data sources that run different verification processes. So everything from um, you know the the basic kind of OCR to extract data from. Uh, or text from uh, documents, um, automatic face matching, we have liveness, um, we have randomness checks for documents, um, and then we connect to um, databases that are available. So in Thailand, we connect to uh, the national ID database there. We have AML, uh, global AML and PEPS uh, databases. Um, and we also have things even like uh, human eye uh, verification with a BPO center that we manage as well as uh, snail mail verification for postcards. So it's, it's really comprehensive and it's all modular so that uh, whatever the regulatory or the business requirements are for a company to, um, to run their verifications of their customers, we can kind of bundle exactly what's needed uh, to, to serve their needs. And how, do, how does someone get access to such databases? Is it like on a per API call or you have some sort of other arrangements with the different different entities? You mean for accessing the databases themselves or for our clients using our service? Uh, the accessing the, let's say, the national database or the other mm -hmm. databases where you uh, log in to verify or call the di different APIs to access the data. Yeah, so um, essentially you just need to get clearance from the, the uh, kind of government agency that controls it. So in Thailand, it's the... Department of Provincial Authority, DOPA, they have the, the database and then they you have to run through kind of an application process. And um, we had to set up a company in Thailand in order to even apply. Um, same runs in Singapore um, for global AML databases. Uh, most of those are available for companies who um, need to run the verifications with them. So it's uh, just us kind of sitting in the middle uh, between all of those data sources, databases, and our clients and being the one that's bringing in specific databases as needed. Oh, interesting. Interesting. And what has been in your experience, in Trust Talk experience, the, 
uh, fraud rates or how does the scenario look like? Uh, I, I assume you guys are operating globally. So if you can share some insights while, when you, while you're running your operations. Oh, okay. So we are um, uh, providing like a both a human eye check and a systematically check. And we uh, obviously we check uh, like uh, the face matching and uh, identity document verification, and uh, we use uh, like many image detections and OCRs and uh, face matching for the system point of view. And but uh, there's um, like um, so many fraud patterns that uh, for the like uh, the like uh, kind of like a. Uh, the group that uh, they really w- want to hack our uh, product, and mm-hmm. also like uh, the uh, like the normal uh, or like yeah, like uh, the person who just want to like uh, uh, like exceed uh, like our verification. So both the mm-hmm. like both of them are want to do fraud like easy fraud patterns, and it's uh, easy or difficult fraud patterns. So like. Um, that's why we need like uh, uh, not only for the systematically verification, but also like a human eye verification. We have uh, like forty or, or fifty operators to do uh, this verification. Uh, like these are all professionals and uh, easy to uh, define like uh, what what is a fraud pattern, what is like uh, okay, and uh, we uh, have a. Uh, uh, lots of the like, verification rules, like over fifty, to check those uh, the uh, verification. So, Azusa, what are the top two or top three frauds do you see typically happening, uh, let's say in Japan? Yeah, uh, like uh, today, there's happened that uh, like uh, one character of the name uh, they want to change in like uh, using Photoshop or something and to and submit many times to get uh, like some earnings to uh, from the the uh, platform like our client oh <laughs> oh that's very interesting <laughs> what other cases you see happening very frequently other use cases is that uh, like uh, actually we want to uh, check the identity verification card itself, but uh, like some patterns is like uh, uh, they want to show that uh, like uh, the identity verification the ID document image in the self uh, like uh, smartphone and, and try to like take a photo for like uh, the smartphone. So that uh, we, our use case, uh, like they don't have like a right ID and uh, we do denied. And what is a typical, for Trust Talk, what is the success rate in terms of, uh, or if I can ask the other way, what is your clearance rate? How many pass through uh, the verification? It depends on the verification, how the verification rule is strict or not. But uh, like, for example, like uh, the, uh, if they're, like less rules, like uh, the success rate will be like 90% or something. But uh, like if it, the verification rule is very difficult, like uh, that will be like 70% or so. Oh, wow. And which which of the domains, for example, banking, retail, finance, where do you see the most frauds happening? Uh, actually, the frauds happening is like not only, like not for the financial institution, but also, but the, like something like matching platform or like like some oh. incentive platform or something like oh that. really 
Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, like uh, people who want to use like a fintech is like uh, not to want to do fraud. Uh, and what sort of in matching platform, you mean some sort of like uh, Tinder and Bumble type of services? I mean, like a dating site or like mm-hmm. matching app or something like that. Uh, so in this case, uh, they want to like uh, change their age, uh, like even younger, or like, uh, <laughs> the, the young people want to like uh, our uh, we uh, I'm like uh, over twenty. It's a very useful service, I must say. <laughs> <laughs> what has been the most difficult aspect in running your business? You know, from operationally hiring, building the solution, procuring databases. What has been the most difficult aspect? Uh, for you, uh, since we are like uh, the, uh, the like group of twenty-two members, I think uh, like hiring is like uh, most important things and uh, most difficult. So last year, like uh, we are interviewing like uh, for to hire one person, we interviewed like thirty-one candidates. So that is, I think, uh, that's a big number. But uh, mm. to confirm that, uh, like, uh, uh, whether or not they have uh, professional skills, but also like uh, the resilient uh, enough to deal with the uncertain situation, uh, we need that. We need to lo- meet a lot of uh, candidates. Mm-hmm. And uh, Azusa, in terms of you're currently present in Japan, you're exploring globally also. But don't you feel the biggest block will be in expansion, will be in terms of getting the right databases uh, within your reach, within the organization. If you go globally, I mean, I'm sure Japan has much more more processes, much more data available. But if you go in Southeast Asia, uh, data might be a challenge to procure. Yeah, I mean, uh, we're every country is a little different and um, there's kind of benefits and drawbacks. So Japan is very, very strict and very structured in their regulations compared to many other countries, mm-hmm. um, which creates both a challenge and an opportunity. And, and when it's less structured or less strict, um, obviously that's also a challenge and an opportunity. So in, you know, in terms of accessing the databases themselves, um, that's basically just sort of a, an administrative task. Um, but, you know, accessing the databases doesn't develop the business. And, and the hard part is, um, you know, the comprehensive localization of a product, not just local databases or local languages and local ID documents, but, um, you know, really understanding how people are using technology, how they're engaging with um, online transactions and making sure that, um, yeah, the, the product is fully kind of equipped for those users. Because ultimately we're providing a, a service to um companies but it's actually if it doesn't work for their customers then it doesn't work for them so we i think the hardest part of this is actually um making sure that our product is fit to the local market understanding the regulations is is first and foremost but then from there you know actually making sure the product is delivering on you know compliance with those and getting the right people in the right places to to build it so I, I assume uh, there are many uh, there is a lot of friction because you have to customize your solution to local markets and understand what sort of frauds are happening in the local market, uh, get the understand the regulatory framework and all the other details uh, around it, right? Yeah, um, there's a ton of friction. Um, there's a ton of legwork to be done, I would say. Um, 
there's you know there's ongoing friction but the what we see and what we hear from a lot of companies we talk to is you know doing EKYC well with our customers is hard in any one country and if we have to do that over and over and over again in multiple different countries and we have to work with different um, you know they're left with kind of one uh, one of two options either they can work with a global provider who doesn't actually have a localized solution but can cover kind of you know the first filter uh, of that or they can work with a bunch of different local suppliers who will provide compliant solutions in each market but then they have to figure out how to stitch those together and run the operations themselves so because those are really the two options that they have, we see this big kind of missing middle um, for companies who do actually have a centralized platform like ours. So once the APIs are developed and the databases are accessed and everything's there, it's just a matter of us on our platform of combining the right APIs for the right customer, for the right client. So there's a lot of legwork up front to get that built, but we think um, you know, that's ultimately what's being demanded for companies working across multiple different markets. Moving on, so uh, Azusa, so how do you currently position your business? Uh, how do you sort of differentiate with your competitors in Japan? So, like, obviously, like, we are pioneer in creating the identity verification industry in Japan because, like, uh, before us, uh, like, there's only, like, uh, the bank operators that do, like, uh, the identity verification only. But, uh, yeah, so we, uh, yeah, I think, uh, like, we are the pioneer. And I also like uh, we have the largest number of companies using the identity verification in Japan. So like for the product point of view, we have a uh, lots of like uh, APIs means that uh, we built a universal platform of APIs that are necessary for identity verification. So the reason for this is that uh, like for the different industries such as banking or securities or human resources and matching apps, so they have a uh, different methods of identity verification and different documents to verify. So therefore, we break down the complex process to, of identity verification and provide APIs as components to make it easy for companies across industry to understand and use. So like uh, the competitors, they only do, uh, do one method of EKYC, but we have a universal platform and a lots of APIs. So those are like big difference in Japan. Oh, wow. And where do you see Azusa in terms of opportunities coming up or the growth areas for EKYC? You mentioned you, you, you have been pioneers in different segments, but where do you see the opportunity coming in in future for verification? Yeah, at, uh, like at least in Japan, like uh, like uh, the industries of which needs like uh, EKYCs are like uh, more happening. Like in 2016, like uh, the uh, blockchains were booming and they, uh, the uh, virtual currencies are need uh, KYC and also like FinTech is coming and they need KYC and uh, uh, mobile phone industry needs KYC. So like uh, each time like uh, that, like uh, as time goes, uh, I found like uh, many industries needs KYC. So I think uh, like uh, this, like, uh, this tends to uh, tends to keeping in the future, yeah. At least in Japan. Mm-hmm. What do you think about uh, in global? Yeah, I guess in in global, I see. Um, I mean, I, I think I think that broadly we see fintech consolidating. Um, and so, what I was just saying about companies working across multiple jurisdictions um, for KYC, 
no, the technology is not the problem. The technology has existed for a long time, but it, it's about um, making that technology work in terms of bundling it so it's compliant with local um, regulations um, and making sure that it's meeting the local needs of customers there. But then, um, you know, making sure it's a complete solution. So not just throwing tools and saying, you know, here's a really good, accurate OCR, or this is a great liveness and face matching technology, but actually, you know, who's going to be really good at bundling all of these things and then making it work, um, you know, not just now for your current static situation, but as regulations change, as your business grows and change, who's going to be able to flex with you and grow with you. And, and um, I think that's actually what's going to be required. It's, it's not unlike many other industries. It's just a matter of uh, building something that can flex and adapt to things as they change. So we see like, it needs to be a complete solution. Um, companies don't want to have to figure out the complexities of and, and manage this themselves, but it also has to be adaptable. Um, and if it's not simple for them to use, then uh, you know they may as well build it themselves. So I, I think that that's kind of what needs to happen in, in KYC for companies to continue to want to outsource it. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, Jeff or Azusa, what do you think in terms of the key technology change or upcoming technology will play a very crucial role for verification. Yeah, like uh, uh, actually we don't use like a like uh, to chase the tech, like uh, for example, like one, uh, we don't uh, want to face, uh, chase one technology at all. Like for example, like face matching technology, uh, we are like a top face matching, te- we are not a face matching technology provider, but but uh, we want to like uh, combine like uh, the many uh, solutions and uh, to follow the regulation and uh, the use case and combining the API to easy to use and uh, easy to integrate. Uh, that's our, our like key uh, like solution that what I want that what I want to create. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah, I would say, I mean, sure. adding adding on that, it's it's. Um, I think the different technologies will come, and um, I don't know that we can predict. Certainly, I can't predict what those will be. But um, uh, right now, honestly, like it's not about it, it's not that EKYC as an industry is missing some you know really key piece of advanced technology. It's actually m- missing. Uh, just like functionality with existing technology. So with data sources, with uh, different databases, with bringing together the, the technologies that exist and making them work, that's that's what's actually hard to do. And that's why it's not being done terribly well so far. So whatever, whatever advanced technology comes, it needs to land in like a functioning ecosystem. Uh, and mm-hmm. I think that's actually like the, the biggest problem facing it right now. Mm-hmm. Interesting. Hmm. And so, okay, uh, uh, Azusa, I wanted to ask you in terms of, uh, I'm sure all our listeners will be very interested to know, uh, Japan as a market, it's very structured, May, there are many processes in place, e- doing business, the presumption is easy, uh, that's that's the background I'm coming from, but from your perspective, uh, when you're running a business in Japan, what are the challenges uh, you typically face? That's the quick question. <laughs> like uh, for the like the global entrepreneurs? Yes, yes. Like, uh, 
I mean, you can touch upon perspective as uh, uh, you know running a business in general in Japan. What sort of challenges uh, someone can face? Like, uh, I think uh, like as an entrepreneur, like uh, like like uh, asking the right question to get the information to create the like a uh, right product is like a very very important. Like I think uh, that's the same like in Japan and in global, but especially in Japan, like. Uh, uh, there's a like a culture is that uh, uh, just saying like it's good, but uh, like I honestly think uh, like I don't I don't want that or something. So like uh, like in Japan like uh, I think I need to focus on like uh, uh, like the way the counterpart or like client are like saying like mm-hmm. how do they say and uh, what's the like uh, uh, how is the face <laughs> is and uh, you know and. Uh, mm-hmm. Uh, what the right question uh, to get uh, one client also I think uh, like that kind of thing is uh, important and uh, mm-hmm. yeah I would say like uh, that's not a straightforward mm-hmm. and what sort of challenges in terms of sales cycle for example how long or how short is it to onboard a new customer in Japan in general I'm asking um like for the sales cycle is like a little bit longer than global like uh, other countries, I think, and especially in traditional traditional companies, uh, traditional clients. Yeah, <laughs> but uh, like if they uh, if you want to like enter the uh, like, uh, in Japan market, then the the target is like uh, startups, uh, for the B two B business that would be like easy, I think. Mm-hmm. And if you want to give a number to close the deal, how long it takes? Six months, seven months, eight, nine months, or few weeks what will you say uh usually i think uh like two months or so like if the the target is startup oh interesting jeff you want to add on top of that from your experience like you have been in japan and plus globally what do you see uh, I can't say a whole lot about japan because uh, i'm focused entirely on our global business so um yeah it seems like it's a it's a two to three month cycle here um, and, you know, I think we, it's, it's really, really long to begin with, um, to get the first client and that's what we're facing and kind of all these, these markets that we're expanding into. So, um, I think I anticipate it will be kind of roughly the same. I'm, I'm anticipating like a, a two to four month cycle once we actually get up and running, uh, in all of these different markets. But for sure, that first one will take six to 12 months because you have no credibility, you have no awareness, um, and it's not the product uh, that's creating the the bottleneck. It's actually just, you know, are you trusted? Are you known entity where you're trying to sell? As an entrepreneur, as a business, if I can say so, if you're entering into a new territory, right, uh, you face a lot of challenges, as you mentioned, but there are businesses which ask for POCs, right, pilots, so what is your take on that particular perspective to spend uh, money upfront to convince a customer to try the product out or how, how does someone go about that like from your perspective yeah i mean i think i i can't speak in general terms on this one because i think it depends a ton yeah. on what your product is and who your customers are True. um for us for us specifically uh, you know, fortunately, it's fairly straightforward to um, create a demo for our clients and have them them use it. Um, it's not 
a matter of, you know, running a six month POC so that they can see the results in, you know, in, in the environment. Um, so I would generally, particularly, I think we see, you know, banks, bigger banks and bigger corporates asking for this because they, you know, need that data to make their internal decisions and they need to ladder it up to, you know, through the, through the levels in their um, company. But, uh, you know, for us, I, I generally just kind of say, look, you, you need to know everything you need to know about how our product works. Um, you can find out by using our demo um, for a week, two weeks. Um, you can run 100, you know, tests through it. And it's, it's pretty straightforward. It's not like it's going to change a ton when it gets into the, to the live environment. So I generally try to, um, if there needs to be a POC, it needs to be something that's um, anchored to a, a real contract um, based on success with that POC. Mm-hmm. Because uh, uh, makes sense uh, in your product, it's more of a backend work than the frontend work. So interfaces won't much be changing. Great. Uh, so uh, coming back, uh, so Azusa, what are your current plans on funds? Have you guys raised any funds, or do you plan to raise any funds anytime soon? Yes, we will open our next round very soon. But uh, yeah, sorry, I can't say much about at the moment. <laughs> <laughs> it's okay it's okay understandable uh, but in terms of uh, what will be your focus area uh, of the capital which you will be raising so in terms of where will be the major chunk of the capital will be going marketing technology sales which aspect yeah uh, to invest right in, in yes the, in, okay um like we are uh, like focusing on like uh, in Japan, uh, we are focusing on now sales and create uh, like not only for like actual verification, but also like uh, uh, you want to create a digital identity, uh, which is like every, every, uh, like everywhere we can use. Mm-hmm. So yeah, uh, for the product point of view, we want to invest uh, digital creating digital identity and uh, yeah, and also the sales. And uh, we are seriously considering about like uh, uh, spinning the, the global. Uh, that's interesting. You mentioned in terms of creating a digital identity. What does the privacy or data rules in Japan? Um, if I am uh, if I am one of the user of your service, or if you are running verification on me, do you require the consent of the user also uh, to verify? And how long do you store their data? Yes, um, like in Japanese regulation, uh, like uh, to get the user's uh, privacy data, uh, you need to ask the consent to the users. And uh, if the uh, if the company wants to like share the uh, the data to other company, uh, that also like needs to consent. So like uh, for us, uh, for we want to. Uh, share the verification result to other company or clients or even government uh, so that uh, the user don't have to uh, do like a KYC many times. So that's what we call the digital identity. What is the timeline to store the data? You can have the customer data as long as you want or there is some timelines uh, where you need to re-verify or how long can you store customer-related data? For the storing the customer data, there's no rules in Japan. Uh, but uh, like, uh, you know, that uh, if the uh, maybe the users uh, with, uh, like 
remove the their address or the user may change their their name so uh like we need to uh we think that uh like the data should be like uh uh stored at a certain of time for example like one year or two years or like renew the uh user data and with the verification is also needed makes sense because ultimately uh, in many other countries there has been some restrictions coming up globally on how long can you store data and etc so i think it's an evolving ecosystem uh, the rules are still getting written so it's an interesting time to be in for sure um ajish i'll just i'll say something on that really quick just that um, yes. you know for digital id when when the user is um, actually creating a stored uh, verification in our system you know we have to store that data for them but when we are just running a verification on behalf of companies um you know it's critical that that company has their user data in, in their server particularly for financial institutions that's almost almost everywhere that's a that's a regulation that they need to have that data and it can't be sort of sitting somewhere on some server that they don't have access to so we uh when we run the verification we need the user data just to do the verification but as we return the result to the company there's also uh, an api for them to to download that user data so then they're the ones who have that consent agreement with their customer directly and then they're the ones storing that customer data mhm interesting and what is the price sensitivity uh, i think this might be for azusa what is the price sensitivity customers are willing to pay for verification uh, how does the pricing looks like uh, for the ID, like digital id or uh, yes yes for verification uh, uh, for verification like i would say like it depends on like a verification method but uh, like it costs Uh, like uh, from one US dollar to five US dollar, and uh, it's yeah depends on the like source and the verification method. Moving on, so last year definitely we were hit by pandemic. COVID happened, so I wanted to understand from you guys uh, what was the impact of COVID on your business. Yeah, for in Japan, like as a matter of fact, uh, like we there's a like both positive aspects and negative aspects, like and I think uh, like uh actually like there's no impact as like uh we continue to grow at roughly like three times bigger like worldwide. Like for the positive side, like uh, since the most of our meeting are now Zoom meetings, so the number of the meeting per day has increased, and as a result, uh, the number of deals won per salesperson has also increased. But uh, the on the downside, uh, like uh, for example, like uh, the client uh, who is in like in charge of travel and in the industry, they had a lot of damage. and also like there's a like fewer events and ex- exhibitions so it is hard to acquire the business card in person right. as you mentioned right most of the meeting happened through zoom etc um how do you sort of see the business going post pandemic like, yeah that's a that's a good question uh, azusa do you want to take this one or should i oh please okay um yeah so i i mean it, So in our business so you know remote ID verification is obviously becoming more and more important the demand for it is growing hugely as uh, people are getting used to doing everything remotely um so in order for fintech and e-commerce and and everything to continue to grow um they need it um so the the 
post-pandemic, if that's a thing, um, uh, industry looks really, I mean, the demand looks really strong. Um, but it's it's tough right now still with uh, travel restrictions everywhere. So, you know, in Japan, I think we're we're relatively stable. Growth is steady. Um, we're, we're growing at a pretty good clip. But, um, you know, managing expansion outside of Japan, uh, from inside Japan, uh, across language and cultural barriers and network barriers is really tough. So I think the the post-pandemic, uh, you know, when we get actually on the other side of this, it looks really good and really bright. I think the demand is there and I think people are now kind of forced into being comfortable enough with it to, to grow. But uh, between now and then, I think the, the challenge remains of just not being able to do anything in person, not being able to, you know, for us setting up companies, hiring teams, um, you know, getting uh, legal uh, or like regulatory approval for our products. All of that has to happen remotely, which, as you can imagine, like <laughs> I'm an American, I'm working for a Japanese company, I'm setting up companies across uh, several different Southeast Asia countries mm. and they all have different kind of cultures and languages and everything. So that so, will continue to be a huge uphill climb uh, until we can get on the other side of it. How do you see the role of, let's say, I mean, different economies are dealing with COVID uh, differently, right? Uh, Japan mm. being definitely going, having a very stable and steady growth. Uh, but in terms of, let's say, Thailand, what are you seeing there? What's happening? Yeah, I mean, in Thailand, and I think many other countries, maybe Singapore is the is the uh, outlier in the region because it's so small and concentrated. Um, but uh, yeah, I mean, in Thailand, they've just come back out of restrictions and people are back moving around. You know, there's traffic there again. I hear from our team on the ground. Um, but I, the transition back into in-person meetings has been very slow. People are cautious. Um, and when you're in places where the, you know, business culture is very much about relationships and in-person connections and, you know, all of that, that can seriously slow things down. Um, so, yeah, I think that that's true in Malaysia right now as well. Singapore is a little different, but uh, the other countries we're looking at are very similar. Wonderful. Uh I think we are about to reach time. So to wrap it up, uh, I have final question for you, Azusa. One of my favorite questions. So if you were to start again, uh, what would you have done differently? Yeah, like uh, I think uh, for like each time, like uh, like uh, I, I would say that uh, like finding a use case with like a perfect balance of system and price and operation is like a most difficult part and uh, but still interesting so for the next time i i was worried about like yeah i'm worried about like uh like because i have already experienced it so i try to tend it to like take shortcut but i want to like uh, experience like uh, that uh, many clients say yeah i don't know i don't want to use you know uh, mm -hmm. I want to really experience that uh, to hear that problem and uh, find it and uh, try to solve this problem like again. So you want to basically unlearn what you have learned till now, if I yeah, can yeah, say. Yeah. So. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And Jeff, what will it for you? It be. Um, yeah, if I could have done it differently, I. I mean, I think that uh, we've learned a lot. Uh, I think that there are some shortcuts I could have taken. I don't know if I would have learned the lessons if I did, but 
um, for sure being smart about entry points. Um, so, um, you know, as we think about expansion, uh, it's not necessarily, you know, Southeast Asia is a region, but it's a, it's a bunch of individual countries that operate very differently. And, and so, you know, we're still trying to find the balance of a regional approach versus a country by country approach. Um, but for sure there's efficiencies to be gained with building a strong regional presence in, in a kind of hub in the region first and using that as a way to, uh, sort of validate demand at different countries and connect to who you need to connect to, to, to learn about regulations and about product needs and, and all that. So I think I would, uh, having done it, having the chance to do it again, I think I would um, focus much more on that centralized approach first and let it kind of uh, blossom out whichever direction we get pulled rather than trying to push into each country. Great. Uh, thank you so much, uh, Azusa and Jeff, for your time. I think it was a lovely conversation we had. I really enjoyed and I'm sure listeners will also enjoy to have a different perspective altogether, how things are in Japan and how what are the challenges and learnings come from expanding from within Japan to globally. I think it was really wonderful. So again, thank you so much for your time. Thank you very much, Ashish. It was great to chat. Yes, uh, if I can say so, I'm a little bit of a Japanese anime fan, so I can I know a few words like Arigato. Thank you everyone for tuning in. I hope you enjoyed this podcast. Uh, we will be back with more interesting episodes soon. Stay tuned.